think with me for a moment about some of the greatest movies that you've ever seen or the greatest stories that you've ever heard. I mean an epic narrative. Now, what is it that made it so great? Well, on my recent trip to Asia, I watched an epic narrative on the plane. It was based on a true story in 1979 about the American hostage crisis in Iran. And it was the true story of an insane attempt to rescue six of them. And it was incredible. It was intense. It was terrifying for those six people. But at the end of the day, it was amazing. It was heroic. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. But here's the thing. Almost every epic narrative is in the end epic because in the middle, it was so very difficult. I believe at the end of our days, most of us want to have lived out an epic narrative. We want lives and journeys to have been incredible stories with deep and lasting impact and beautiful outcomes. Yet Henry David Thoreau said, most men live lives of quiet desperation. The reason? Because there's nothing epic about their stories. Most people's lives are more empty than epic. Why? Perhaps it's because we are more committed to controlling our circumstances and living for our comfort than we are to actually trusting God, living by faith, and expecting him to show up in amazing ways. Today, we want to wrestle together with that struggle. And this morning, we are going to look right into the face of a reality that we have been seeing throughout our Hebrews 11 series, and that is this. The context where faith lives and breathes and has its greatest impact is most often adversity. If you have your Bible with you, would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter 11. We are on the verge of wrapping up our series of a life of faith from Hebrews 11. This week and next week, we will wrap it up. And today, we have the privilege of looking at the life of Moses. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to look at five important moments of faith in Moses' life. Now, there is no way we have time to dig in depth into all of those. But the good news is this. In September... Right after Labor Day, we are going to start a new series together as a congregation in our weekend services and in our life groups going through the book of Exodus. And we will have the opportunity to dig even more deeply into Moses' story. 
But for this morning, we want to focus on these five moments of faith in his journey. And we begin in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Last week, we talked about Joseph and the incredible opportunity and impact God gave him in Egypt. But now the story has completely changed. In Exodus 1.8, we're told that a new king has come on the scene who knows nothing about Joseph and all that he did for Egypt, and he sees the Hebrew people as a threat. He sees them growing in size and strength, and he says, we must put them down. This king goes so far as to issue an edict that any Hebrew male child born in Egypt is to be thrown in the Nile River and killed in an act of infanticide. What a horrific context in which the Hebrew people find themselves. Terrifying, horrible. And yet here in Hebrews 11, we are told that by faith, Moses' parents disobeyed and they hid Moses. Why? Two reasons are given. First of all, because he was a beautiful child. Now, that seems kind of strange, doesn't it? I mean, honestly, doesn't every parent think their baby is beautiful? And babies are beautiful. I just saw a beautiful three-week-old sitting right over there in section four this morning. So there are all kinds of beautiful children, but we're told in Acts 7.20 that Stephen said of Moses that he was beautiful in the sight of God. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that his father Amram had a vision that this was going to be a deliverer of Israel. There was something about Moses that caused them to see and understand this child is unique, set apart, and called of God. We're also told in verse 23, they were not afraid of the king's edict. A theme that we are going to see repeated in our text today is that faith can and often must operate independent of emotions. Did they feel fear? I can't imagine that they didn't. How terrifying would it be to save your baby knowing it could literally cost you your life? But what's the issue that the writer of Hebrews is pointing out in verse 23? It's that they did not surrender to that fear. They did not live in it and by it. Instead, they overcame it by faith. Now, this brings up for us what I call the pattern of faith. We see it here in verse 23. We're going to see it throughout our text. I want you to watch for it this morning. Here it is. This is the pattern of faith. First of all, we face a problem. Perhaps it's even a crisis. And in that crisis, in that problem comes a moment of decision. We will now choose how do we handle the situation. Very often what we choose is to take things in our own control, to try to solve it ourselves. We lean into our wisdom and into human effort, and often the outcome is disastrous. Sometimes out of our fear, we just immediately run toward grabbing control. But what's the alternative? It is choosing to live by faith. What does that mean? 
It means in that moment, we choose to believe that God is God, that he is all powerful. We choose to believe that God is good, that he is actually for us. And because of our belief in God, we choose godly action and response in dependence upon God. And as we do, something amazing happens. God shows up in the situation. And we get to experience God's protection and God's provision. And ultimately, we get to be a part of advancing God's plan. That is the pattern of faith. That's what we see with Moses' parents in verse 23. We'll see it throughout the text. Keep an eye on it. Now, I don't know your circumstances. I don't know your context in life. But most of us will face some sort of circumstance in which we are going to for, be forced to choose between surrendering to our fear or choosing by faith to obey God rather than to fear men. And Moses faced that reality not only as an infant, but also multiple times as an adult. Look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward." Now the writer references a time when Moses was an adult, nearly 40 years old, and he faces a major crossroads in his life. Who will he be? What will he live for? And he has a distinct choice to live out his upbringing as the son of Pharaoh's daughter or to identify himself as a member of the Hebrew slave nation. Remember, he had been pulled out of the basket in the water by Pharaoh's daughter and adopted by her. He had been given the finest education and privilege of all of Egypt. Verse 26 says he had partaken of the treasures of what was perhaps at the time the greatest nation on earth. And scholars say there is even viable reason to believe he would have been an heir to the throne. That's one choice that sits before him in his life. But he also grew up knowing that he was a Hebrew, not an Egyptian. In chapter 2 of Exodus, verses 7 through 10, we have every reason to believe that the relationship with his family continued even after he was taken into the home of Pharaoh's daughter. And in Exodus 2.11, Moses is referring to the Hebrews as his brethren. So here he stands between two worlds, the riches and treasures of Egypt and the suffering of Israel. Now verse 25 says something really interesting. It says, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Why does it say that? I mean, not all riches are sin. There are many people who have followed God and obeyed God and he has blessed them and they have enjoyed incredible material prosperity. Why here does it speak of the passing pleasures of sin? I think there's two reasons. The first reason is Egypt's idolatry. 
For Moses to align himself with the house of Pharaoh and to live as a leader in Egypt meant to align with all that Egypt believed. They disdained the Hebrews. Even more, they disdained the God of the Hebrews. They wanted nothing to do with Yahweh, the one true God. They had their own pantheon of gods, their own system. And for Moses to stay in the house of Pharaoh would most certainly have meant aligning his life with Egypt's idolatry. I believe that's the first reason. I believe the second is Egypt's injustice. Some years ago, we had the privilege together as a church to study the book of Amos. And in that study, we took a deep look at the Old Testament understanding of the wicked and the righteous. And we came to understand that the wicked are those people who will advantage themselves even at the expense of others. While the righteous, called in Hebrew the Zadik, are those people who are willing even to disadvantage themselves for the benefit of others, particularly those who are suffering injustice. You see, the Egyptians were flourishing and they were prospering, but it was on the backs of suffering Hebrew slaves. The Hebrews were beaten and mistreated and suffering greatly to make possible the rich and luxurious lifestyle of the household of Pharaoh, which is where Moses lived. Imagine the painful dissonance in his soul as an adult, as he enjoys and sees all of the wonderful things that he has in his position of privilege, but he sees where it came from. And he sees the cruel injustice, the suffering of his very own Hebrew people. And he faces a choice. Will he be the Zadik, a righteous one, and forsake the pleasures of a life built on cruel injustice? Will he choose to identify himself and align with his own people, the Hebrew people, and in so doing, forsake the pleasures of sin, living in the treasures of Egypt? Well, what does the text say? Verse 24 when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, he chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Then even more powerfully, verse 26, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Why? What was Moses' motivation? It's right there in verse 26, for he was looking to the reward. The Hebrews were the people of the promise. This promise goes all the way back to Abraham, that God had promised to call them his people and to lead them into the land and to give them a future. And Moses identified with his people and their God, and he believed God for the reward that was greater that lay ahead. It makes me wonder, what are we looking to? What are we looking for? You know, when I was in college, I faced a bit of my own crossroads in life. 
For all of my life, I had been taught that what really mattered, what was really great in life was popularity and position and prestige and power. And I had done everything in my strength I possibly could to achieve those things, and it was going well. At 21 years of age, I was in the newspaper. I was personal friends with the governor. I was a member of the Board of Regents. I was meeting with foreign ambassadors. But I was also living a life of sin. And I began to sense God calling me to himself in very different ways. And I faced a choice. In the struggle in my soul, I knew I had to make a decision one way or another. And I literally, specifically decided that I would choose the treasures of Egypt. Believing that what this world has to offer is far greater than anything that I would find in Christ. And it was a disaster. And thankfully, by the grace of God, he met me in those difficult circumstances. He began to change me, to change my heart, to change my desire. And it was about two years later that I was in California being trained for my first full-time ministry assignment. And when I was in California, I sensed God calling me to do some business with him. And following the example of another I had heard about, I went alone by myself to spend time with God and to think about my life, which lay ahead. And I decided to get out a notebook and a piece of paper. And I began to literally write out a contract with God. I said, God, this is my life. This is my future. And I am going to enter on this day into a contract with you. And the contract will simply be a blank page. I give you the right, unreservedly, God, to fill in the details, to write the story. I will go anywhere. I will do anything that you ask of me. I surrender all of my future to you, and I invite you to have your way in me. And I took that contract and that blank page, and at the bottom, I signed it, and I dated it when I was 23 years of age. And for more than three decades... I have had the joy and the privilege of watching God write different chapters in the stories. Things I never would have expected. Amazing opportunities that I've had. But there has been an insidious and continuous problem ever since then. You see, I have had this continuous, desperate, ongoing a series of attempts to renegotiate the terms. You see, things will start happening in my life. And I'm not really sure I want my story to look that way. I'm not really enjoying my circumstances. So I quickly grab the eraser and I get the pen. And I say, no, let's change this just a bit. We don't really like this part here. I want to rewrite the story. And over and over and over, I have had a series of desperate attempts to try to take control and to rewrite the story. And it's ended in disaster. Edit, change, question, over and over again. This last week, myself and a group of our ministry residents led a team of students to the other side of the world on a short-term mission to Bangladesh. 
We talked a lot on that trip about control and comfort. Because in America, we have the luxury and the privilege of great measure of control over our lives. And we can use that control to orchestrate our own comfort. But while we were in Bangladesh, much of that was stripped away. Much of our control over our day-to-day life was taken away. Even some of our comfort was taken away. And we were forced to trust God to look to God, to depend upon God. And you know what? To live expectantly day by day, just looking to see how God would provide, protect, and meet us in amazing ways. And he did. It was an incredible time together. We'll tell you a little bit more about it next week. But I'm wondering, what about you? What about your life and your story? In what ways... Do you seek to be God, controlling every circumstance in your life and in your world? In what ways do you seek to live for the comfort of Egypt rather than the greater riches of Christ? Are you living, seeking every benefit now, your best life now? Or are you fixing your eyes on Jesus and trusting him for the greater reward in his way and in his time. I've told you all many times over the years that for a long time I struggled with allowing my understanding of my circumstances to actually shape my view of God. Rather than choosing by faith to have a right and accurate view of God shape my understanding of my circumstances. You see, over and over and over, I say, I want a life of faith. I say, here I am, Lord, send me, use me. But at the slightest sign of trouble or even discomfort, I am so prone to grab the eraser and the pen and to try to begin rewriting the story, thinking that I know best and seeking to grab back control, that I might rearrange the circumstances of my life to bring me comfort. I say I want a life of faith, but honestly, I often live is though what I really want is a life of safe. It all comes down really to one question. Do I trust God? And if we break that down, that means do I actually believe in the moment of crisis that God is God, that he is all powerful and that God is good, that he loves me and that he is for me and that he is able to provide and protect for me. Saying yes to those questions and continuing to seek him, believe him, follow him, and obey him, choosing to let God write the story, that is the essence of a life of faith. Choosing to be my own God and to live working with all that I am to protect and to provide for me and mine. Choosing to seek to write my own story, controlling every possible detail of the narrative or at least all that I can. That is the essence of a life of safe. And Moses' decision, it was the turning point in his life. But we need to understand His decision wasn't without consequence. 
serious consequence. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. In Exodus chapter 2, we read that Moses sees an Egyptian cruelly beating a Hebrew, and he seeks to intervene to rescue the Hebrew, and he kills the Egyptian. But word of his actions gets out, and in Exodus 2.14, we are told Moses was afraid because the matter had become known. Yet here in Hebrews 11.27, we're told that Moses left Egypt by faith, not fearing the wrath of the king. This has caused some scholars to conclude that 1127 is a reference to later when he leads the Hebrew people out following the plagues. But for a number of reasons, I would align with the many scholars who think that is not the case. In fact, I think the theological point of verse 27 is that, again, faith is not a matter of emotion. It has been well said that courage is not the absence of fear, but the judgment that something is more important than our fear. It's doing what is right and necessary, even in spite of our fear. There's no question that Moses was afraid of being found out and what the consequences might be that could come. And he was found out, and his life was literally in danger. But I believe this served to cement the crossroads he faced. Perhaps the safest course of action would have been for him to run to Pharaoh and beg for mercy, beg for him to spare his life, at which point he would have cemented himself not as a Hebrew slave, but as a slave to the life and the ways of Egypt, but he does not. Instead, by faith, he sets his heart, he sets his mind on an entirely new journey of life. He doesn't run back to Egypt in fear. He leaves Egypt and embarks into an entirely unknown future. How? Why? Well, the verse tells us for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. You know, the first Bible verse one of my leaders told me to memorize when I was in college was 2 Corinthians 5.7. It says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And how did our whole series start? With Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things what? Not seen. And when we flip the page to chapter 12 and the writer turns to talking about running our race, how are we to run that race? It is fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so off Moses goes. And what a different life and story this will be. Forty years go by between verse 27 and verse 28. And then in response to the command of God, Moses returns and demands that the new Pharaoh set God's people free. But over and over, 
Pharaoh refuses. He hardens his heart regardless of the cost or loss for his people or land. And finally, God says, enough. And the final plague will be the death of every firstborn. And the writer of Hebrews doesn't go into detail regarding all of the plagues, but he finds it imperative to share one point. Verse 28, by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. On the night of the final plague, the Hebrews are given a choice, death or an offer of life. But they must choose to be rescued from death and to experience life. They must sacrifice a lamb and put its blood on the doorframe and above the doorframe of their house by faith. And they are told that if they do, when the destroyer comes, he will pass over their house and they will be spared death and given life. The writer is making a critical theological point regarding faith. He's just shared earlier in chapter 9, verse 22, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And Passover became the foreshadowing symbol of what faith's ultimate object must be, Jesus and his shed blood on the cross. He was the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And just as God offered salvation to the Israelites in Egypt, he too offers deliverance from death and life now and forevermore with him to all who will come under the blood of Jesus, to all who will accept his sacrifice as payment for their sin. But it's up to us. We must choose whether or not, by faith, we will accept Jesus and his payment, or through doubt or self-will, we could choose to go our own way and live apart from his mercy and grace. And if there is anyone here this morning who has not trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, I implore you, even today, just tell him, I choose to trust in you. I choose not to trust in me, to find life and make my own way. I choose to trust in you, in the finished work of Christ as sufficient payment for my sin. And I entrust myself to you as my Savior and Lord. Don't go from this place being your own God living your own way. It is simply the road to death. And in this act of faith in verse 28, we find the deliverance of Israel as the people of God are not only spared, but they're set free. Set free from their slavery and they head out toward the wilderness. But the writer of Hebrews wants to remind us of one other picture of faith experienced by this people. Not only salvation through the shedding of his blood, but deliverance through the power of God. Verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Just a few things quickly here. 
First of all, we need to understand God purposely led them into a dead end trap with the sea in front of them and the Egyptian army closing in behind them. Why did he do that? For the sake of demonstrating his glory and for the sake of strengthening their faith. Then God was gracious to them and he provided a way of escape in spite of their fear. We're told in Exodus 14, they are freaking out. They are terrified. But again, faith is not about what we are able to do. It is entirely about trusting what God alone can do. In fact, in Exodus 14, 14, we read, the Lord will fight for you. You need only keep silence. And they walk through on dry land. I don't know what impossible circumstance you face today. I know there are many in this room for whom the circumstances of life feel like an impassable ocean on one side and an imposing army on the other. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, nowhere to turn. And our entire series this summer has been to remind us of our only option, to look up to look to, to trust in, to literally entrust ourselves to our great God. There is no plan B. Again, notice the pattern of faith, a problem or a crisis. We can choose to respond in the flesh, in our human effort, out of fear. We can seek to take control, take the reins, and fix things on our own, usually ending up in disaster. Or we can choose to look up. We can choose to believe that God is God. We can choose to believe that God is good. And believing those things, we can, by faith, engage in godly action, in dependence upon him. And as we do, something amazing takes place. God shows up. We get to experience God's protection. We get to experience God's provision. And ultimately, we even get to be a part of advancing God's plan. That is the pattern of faith. And so very often, what we most want in life is for God to change our circumstances. And often he does. He really does Sometimes he even parts the water and we walk straight on through. Time and time again in my life, I have experienced the grace of God allowing me to walk by faith. And I have subsequently had the privilege of experiencing God's protection and privilege. And I have even seen uh, the privilege, I've even seen God allow me to be a part of advancing his plan. Sometimes he immediately parts the water but not always, not always. You know, following the Exodus out of Egypt, Moses will spend another 40 years, another 40 years in the Sinai wilderness, 
leading the people of Israel on a prolonged sojourn because of their lack of faith, their unwillingness to trust God and take the land by faith. And a number of times on my global travels, I have flown over the Sinai Peninsula. And I have stared out the window down at the sand-covered, barren wasteland. And these are the words that have literally just escaped my mouth. 80 years. 80 years. Because that is how long Moses spent sojourning in the wilderness of Sinai. 80 years of sticky, sweating, sand-spitting existence. So we got to ask, is the life of faith an epic narrative? Or is it a tragedy? I'd encourage you this week, as we prepare to end the series next week, read the rest of the chapter, and you will clearly see many of those in the hall of faith never received in this life what they were hoping for. In fact, it didn't end well at all for several of them. And even Moses' story doesn't end well from a human perspective. We find him at the end of Deuteronomy dying after 80 years in the wilderness just before the people get to enter the promised land. And just as it says in Hebrews eleven thirteen, he only saw it from a distance. So we have to wonder, was it worth it? How could it have been? Well, don't forget, when is the next time that we encounter Moses? Oh yeah, it's some 14 Hundred years later on the Mount of Transfiguration when Luke tells us in chapter 9 he appeared in glorious splendor with Jesus and with Elijah. Do you think Moses had any regrets about his story? You think he has any regrets about his story even about those 80 years of sacrifice for the people of God? I don't think so. And neither will we. But faith involves keeping our eyes fixed on the unseen God and living by faith for a greater reward. Trusting that he isn't being unkind or unfaithful. It's just, friends, that we are right in the hard middle of the epic narrative that he is writing. So what's it going to be? Will we actually allow God to write our stories? Living a life of faith? Or will we continually seek to grab the eraser and the pen and try and change the narrative, desperately seeking a life of safe? I believe it depends on where we choose to focus. Immediate gratification or eternal perspective. Where is our hope? 
Is it in here and now seeking a life of ease or living by faith in our God and his plan for all of eternity? For control leading to comfort today or a blank page allowing God to write a story that will still matter 10,000 years from now? The choice is up to us. A life of safe or a life of faith? Jesus, we thank you that you've shown us a better way. All the way back from Moses and the people of the promise that you have been showing us that life is about living as a part of your plan in relationship with you, walking in dependence upon you, following you, seeking you, and allowing you to write the grand narrative of our lives. And Lord, we are a part of a meta-narrative that you are writing in the history of man. God, cause us to see the grandeur of your plan and to willingly and joyfully join you in the journey. Lift our eyes from living for temporary comfort and seeking control. Cause us to believe that you are God and that you are good. Living with you is an epic narrative with a glorious ending. It's in your name we pray, amen.